Good morning. Welcome to First Southern. We're glad that you're here this morning. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in two separate passages this morning. So Galatians chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7. Matthew is the first of those two books. Galatians is several books uh, later. Uh, go to the table of contents. That's why we have it. Or, or go to an app. It makes it much easier. So anyways, Galatians 5, Matthew 7. So let me start with a question for you. Have you ever, kids, have you ever gotten something in your eye? Yes? Was it painful? Was it, did you just want to rub your eye like crazy? Yeah, so let me tell you a story about a time I got something in my eye. I used to work in a cabinet shop. I've been in construction most of my life. My dad had a construction company, and so it was just natural for me to go into that industry and do that kind of work. Um, in college, uh, and just after college, I worked in a big cabinet shop. And so imagine, it's like a big warehouse, pretty much the size of this room, and there's just woodworking equipment everywhere. There's sawdust everywhere. It's hanging from the cobwebs from the ceiling. I mean, there's, it's literally in everything. And so you'd go through your day cutting wood and doing this and doing that and making these beautiful cabinets. And I loved the work, but I've got to be honest, the one thing I hate about construction is the stuff you get in your eyes. My, we did a, a big repair job on my house back in Havasu, and my wife was like, oh, I want to tear this out and this out and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, great, demo. You watch the shows on HGTV and they get all excited about demo day. That's the day I hate the most because you get filthy. It gets everywhere, but in my eyes is the part that I hate the most. And so I'm working in this cabinet shop, you know, building these beautiful cabinets. I keep glasses on to keep uh, all the sawdust out. And one day I'm going along and I just, I was like, oh, I got something in my eye and it's no fun. And oh, and I'm just kind of pushing through. And at one point during the day, one of my coworkers looked at me and goes, Chad, what is up with your eye? It's like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, you work in a cabinet shop, so you got to be manly. You know, you, you got to have that standard. Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, and, and so I just kind of pushed through the rest of the day, knowing that my eye was killing me. And so I drove home that evening. I got home. I took my shower. And usually, you know, the shower would wash out a lot of the ick that was in your eyes and things like that. And I get out of the shower and I look in the mirror and my eye is just swollen. It's red, bloodshot. It still hurts like crazy. And I thought, okay, something's really wrong. So I got in my car. I went to the emergency room. And sure enough, I had a splinter in my eye. Kids, can you imagine you get a splinter in your finger? And no, I got a splinter in my eye. Oh, it's awful. And I'm not talking like man cold awful. Like, you know what I'm talking about. A woman will get like the worst case of flu on the face of the planet. And she's up getting the kids ready every morning and cooking everything and, and doing everything she needs to go to work. And she goes through her day just fine. A guy gets a sniffle. He's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't like that. No, I had a splinter in my eye. It was excruciating. I hated it. But basically, long story short, the doctor pulled it out, took care of it, and gave me a set of eye drops that I had to put in like three times a day for two weeks. I had to wear an eye patch. So I'm going to work like, arr, yeah, how are you today? You know, okay, anyways. Um, so 
I basically got made fun of for two weeks because I had to wear an eye patch in a cabinet shop uh, while I worked, and it was miserable. I hated it. Now that I've concluded my story, turn to Galatians 5. I'll get on back to it. Don't worry. I'll come back to it. Galatians 5, we are in a nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit. And while you're turning to Galatians 5, if you're still not there, let me give you the whole overview idea of what the fruit of the Spirit is and why it's so important to us. The idea here is that the fruit of the Spirit is the cure to the things we don't want to do. So think about it. You get some kind of sickness. You go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you something that will make you better. If you want to avoid, if you want to relieve yourself, cure yourself of the sickness of sin that we have. Uh, in Galatians 5, it calls, calls it the works of the flesh. That stuff that as Christians we don't want to do, well, if we want to not do that, we have to find the cure. And the cure, according to Galatians 5, is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, there's a tagline on, on the main slide that says, they say an apple a day. Well, how does that phrase conclude? They say an apple a day will keep the doctor away. Well, the idea is if you live in the fruit of the Spirit, you'll keep the works of the flesh away from you. You will keep that sinful sickness that plagues us all, you'll keep it away. Because if you live in the fruit, it inoculates you, it vaccinates you from that sin, from that work of the flesh. So let's look at Galatians 5. We're going to start in verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16, it says this. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See what it just said? Exactly what I'm talking about here. If you will live in the fruit, the works of the flesh will have no control over you. They will, it's so contrary to the works of the flesh, the fruit is, that it will keep the works of the flesh out of you. So let's keep reading. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, did you catch that? Verse 22, here's the cure. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we're three weeks in to this series on the fruit of the Spirit. So we've covered the first two. We've covered love and we've covered joy. And so can you remember what we talked about the last two weeks? The first week when we covered love, we talked about that love values people over priorities. In other words, when we love that means that people are more important than our own preferences. Our own preferences, our own opinions, our own take on the world is not as important as loving people. That's what that basically breaks down to. Love is more important than that. 
The second week, which was last week, we talked about joy. And I told the story of going to a barbecue place when I was in uh, seminary. And how if I went there at lunch, I would go back uh, to my seminary, back to class. And people would literally be jealous of me because I smelled like smoked meat. I smelled so good. Like if they made a cologne of barbecue, I would wear it because it smells so good. And so the tagline last week was, do you stink of joy? In other words, does joy radiate from your life so much that people see it, they can literally smell it on you? Because if you stink of joy, if joy radiates from your life in that way, people are going to want what you have. Just like they were jealous when I would walk back into class and smell like that barbecue place. People are going to see that joy in you and they're going to be jealous of it. They're going to want that. They're going to say, what is that that he has or, or she has? Because I want that in my life. I want that joy. And so that was the last two weeks. This week we're talking about the third fruit, which is peace. That's our focus this morning. So what does the Bible have to say about peace? Because I want us to not have like a Miss Universe understanding of world peace. I want us to have a biblical understanding of what peace is. I want us to basically walk away and say, this is what God says about peace. Not what culture, not what whatever. I want God's answer to peace. So let me give you some passages. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you a few passages um, and I'll repeat them. So here we go. The first one is Matthew 5, verse 9. Matthew 5, verse 9. In Matthew 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches. It's his most famous sermon, probably. And it's the very beginning of it. And the very beginning, he gives what's called the Beatitudes. And this is part of the Beatitudes. One of the Beatitudes is in Matthew 5, verse 9. It says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Did you catch that? If we are people of peace, if we're peacemakers, we'll be called sons of God. You hear a lot today about a person's identity. I don't know about you, but I want to be called a son of God. Follower of Christ, I want that to be part of what people call me because I'm a peacemaker. Uh, The next passage is Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verse 14. Hebrews 12, verse 14. And it says this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That's the idea that, that the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to us. Then you go into 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says... They must turn away from evil and do good, meaning us as followers of Christ. We must turn away from evil, do good, and they must seek peace and pursue it. They must seek peace and pursue it. In other words, it's not that we should just be peaceful. We should be actively pursuing peace. I mean, if you go into Matthew 5, that's kind of what he's saying. To be a peacemaker... It's not just being a peaceful person. You're pursuing it. You're seeking after it so that you can actively be a peacemaker. It's not something that happens passively. The next passage is James 3, James chapter 3, verse 18. Here's what it says. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that part of what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ is be righteous? 
Uh, righteous means that we stand in right standing before God. We're okay with God. God, God looks at us and says, you're good in my eyes. Um, and so if we want to be good in God's eyes, it says that we have to be people of peace. We have to sow peace if we want to reap the harvest of righteousness. You see how important this is becoming biblically? How, how vital peace is to our spiritual health? The last passage before we move into our main one is Romans 12, verses 16 through 18. So Romans 12, 16 through 18. It says this, live in harmony with one another. Now, anytime you see in the New Testament, it, when you see the phrase one another, it's talking about us as a church. It's not talking about everybody. When it says one another, it's talking about the church. And it says this, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. In other words, don't be arrogant. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't be arrogant. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And catch this, the last sentence of verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you. In other words, if you have any control in the situation, do this. And it says, live peaceably with all. Now it goes beyond one another. It says, be peaceable with all. If you have any control, if I have any control over our circumstance in any given moment, we're called to live peaceably with everyone around us in that moment, in that situation. So, a lot of Bible passages on peace. And it's pretty clear what the Bible has to say about peace. I want to focus on something different. Um, it says a lot about peace, but why is peace so difficult? Because let's be honest, it's hard to be peaceful, isn't it? I mean, if you're on social media, you know as well as I do that we live in a culture of conflict. We live in a culture that thrives on aggression and anger, don't we? Uh, it's just kind of the, the place that we are now in our culture. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at why peace is so hard. So turn to Matthew 7. We're going to be here the rest of the morning. Matthew chapter 7, we're in verse 1. So Matthew 7, verse 1. Now I mentioned earlier, as you're turning there, I mentioned earlier that Matthew 5 passage, the Beatitude passage about being peacemakers, that passage was the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's the kind of the title that it's been given over the years. And the Sermon on the Mount is follows all the way through we're still in it in Matthew 7 Jesus is still telling this message and he's about three quarters of the way through this sermon on the mount when he does talks about this particular topic so mind you keep in mind we're trying to the answer the question why is it so hard to be peaceful to be people of peace so Matthew 7 verse 1 and this is Jesus speaking saying judge not that you not be judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Remember the story I just told at the beginning? Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, 
be honest here. This is kind of some over-the-top dramatic imagery, isn't it? Uh, think about it for a second. Go back to my story. It's totally relatable and understandable to get a piece of sawdust, to get a speck in your eye. Go back and think for a second. What did Jesus do? What was his profession before he started his ministry? He was a carpenter. So he knew exactly what it was like to get a speck of sawdust in his eye, right? And so Jesus, having been a carpenter, that's what his dad did, and that's more likely what he did. Jesus, probably being a carpenter, knew exactly what it was like to have something, a speck, you know, a tiny piece of sawdust stuck in your eye and how annoying that can be, right? But then he kind of does this over-the-top imagery of saying, but why do you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Let's be honest. Kids, have you ever seen someone walking around with a log sticking out of their eye? No, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, how does that even work? How does your eye hold a log? Like, most of us have a hard time holding a log with one hand. How does your eye hold it? It's not possible. So why does Jesus go into this kind of over-the-top, like, totally ridiculous imagery? Well, here's why. The way we look at others and treat others is just as spiritually ridiculous as having a log in our eye. Think about it for a second. How often do you personally struggle with looking down on others? For me, it's a minute-by-minute struggle because of my pride. We constantly look at someone and pass judgment on that person, don't we? You see someone walk through the doors, and before you've spoken a word to them, you're already saying, oh, this person, that person that walked in the door over there, they're this kind of person. I can tell by the way they look. You do that in your mind. I do that in my mind. And that's not holy. That's not righteous. That's not godly. That's our sin. That's that works of the flesh trying to keep us from being humble and peaceful. And so the idea here is Jesus goes into this really ridiculous illustration because he's trying to point out how ridiculous it is the way we treat people because of our pride. Now, remember the question that led us into this passage. Why is it so hard to be a person of peace? Isn't it this? Look down at people and we, we cast judgment on people and that judgment then leads us to not be peaceful with them, Right? Isn't that kind of the originating source of where that unpeacefulness, that lack of peace comes from in our life? It's us looking at others and going, I'm better than them. I'm holier than them. I'm above them. And so I'm going to look down on that person. I'm going to cast judgment on them. And that's why Jesus uses this illustration. That attitude is completely ridiculous. It's completely unwarranted from a follower of Christ. And so let's think about this for a second. Our pride is what gets in the way of us being a people of peace. But I think the last verse of this passage points this out even more. So look at verse 6. Again, we're still in Matthew 7, verse 6. Because verse 6 seems a little out of place. So let's read it for a second. Remember, Jesus has just been speaking about getting a speck in the eye and trying to take it out even though you've got a log. So he's using like physical descriptions and maybe carpentry terms to describe a spiritual truth and then he says this verse six do not give dogs what is holy now wait 
what do dogs have anything to do with a speck in my eye or a log in my eye? Let's keep reading. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What's the connection here? Because this verse seems very isolated and, quite frankly, kind of out there a little bit. So what does it mean? Well, Jesus actually does this several times in the Sermon on the Mount, where he'll go through talking about something, and then he'll conclude that topic that he was just talking about, he'll conclude it with a phrase that's related but maybe just a little different than the paragraph he had before it. Um, it's, a, it's a literary tool that they used to use in Jesus' time to, to make a point. And so the idea that he has here with dogs and pigs is related to the five verses right before that about passing judgment on people. And so here's the idea, basically. Jesus says, don't look down on people. Don't cast judgment on people. Be a people of peace. But the way that you're not going to be able to do that, the way you're going to be judgmental and you're not going to be peaceful is when you look at somebody and you see them as a dog or you see them like a dirty pig. When you do that and you try and take something valuable, and I think he's talking about the gospel of Christ, when you go try to be a witness to somebody and you're looking down on them like a dog or a dirty pig, they will recognize that and they will take that good news and throw it back in your face. Our pride gets in the way every time. Our pride is our greatest enemy from being a people of peace. So, you know, I've said it, and I'm going to keep saying it. I want you to walk away with one statement. Every sermon I give, I want you to walk away with one thing that you'll go home and be able to remember and apply this week. Um, and so, here's that statement. If you haven't heard anything this morning... And you're going to tune me out right after this statement. That's fine. Just remember this one statement. Okay? Everybody with me? Choose his peace over your pride. Or over your plank. Choose his peace over your plank. The reason I use the word plank is the NIV uses the word plank instead of log. And it just worked well because peace and plank start with peace. So, choose his peace over your plank. In other words, the idea is, is that we have to recognize just how ridiculous our own pride is and get rid of it and choose to live in God's peace and be a person of peace instead. Because being a person of peace is not a passive act. It is something that we actively must pursue. So how do we live in peace? We need to see people for who they really are. We need to see people the way God sees people. When God looks at you and I, what does he see? He sees someone that he loves and that he has pursued and is continuing to pursue even though we're a sinner in need of a Savior. Right? And when he looks at that person that you looked down on yesterday afternoon, what does he see? He sees someone he loves that he's pursuing that is a sinner in need of a Savior. Your sins are no better or worse than anyone else's sins. In God's eyes, when we compare ourselves to Him, we are all in the same boat. You are no better, you are no worse than anyone else on the planet. And that's how God calls us to see people. Now, let me take just a side note for just a second because I've been talking about seeing people as people not as dogs or dirty pigs, but 
let me be honest for a minute. For some of you in this room, your plank, your pride, is not about how you see people. Your plank is about how you see the person in the mirror, isn't it? For some of you in this room, the struggle is not looking down on people. It's seeing yourself as less than what God sees you as. Because let's be honest for a minute. God loves you, doesn't he? Kids, does God love you? Yes, Yes, he does. Does God love you a lot? Yes. Yes. What does the Bible say? God loves you so much that he did what? He sent his one and only son to die on a cross to save you, to save all of us from our sins, right? For some of you in this room, you need to take the plank of pride out of your eye and realize that that pride can actually turn back on you sometimes and make you see a distorted version of yourself, a version of yourself that God does not see and has never intended for you. And if you're that person, if you're the person that looks at yourself in the mirror and you see nothing but a pig or a dog, talk to somebody about that. Get some help for that because that is not how God sees you. God sees you with love, with value, with worth, and he wants you to realize that you have value through Jesus Christ. So if you're that person that struggles with how you see yourself, come talk to someone. Um, We'll connect you with someone if, if you need that help. So moving on, we have to see people for who they really are, and that means everyone ourselves, the people around us. For some of you, it's that annoying neighbor that drives you crazy. I have one, and I try with everything God gives me to love that person and be in peace with that person, even though that person really does not like being peaceful with me. So for some of you, it's that coworker that has made your life miserable. I've got them. I mean, no, I don't. I, I have great <laughs> coworkers here at First Southern. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've I have amazing coworkers, but I'll be honest, I have had coworkers in the past that I would avoid their office at all cost. But Christ wants me to be peaceful with them too. For some of you, it's your spouse. And don't nudge your neighbor. I'm watching you. But the fact is, is let's be honest, many times the most unpeaceful place in our life is our home, isn't it? Because we have forgotten how to be peaceful with the one that we're supposed to love the most other than God our Savior. So maybe peace needs to apply at your house before it can apply anywhere else. For some of you, it's your kids going back to the home. Some of you, it's really hard to be peaceful with your children, huh? Kids, is it hard to be peaceful with your mom and dad sometimes? Yes! Ugh! But guess what? Mom and dad, kids, Christ calls us to be peaceful with our parents and with our children. For some of you, it's that politician. Oh, he's talking about politics. Yes, for some of you, being peaceful is an issue politically. And a minute. One of the places, especially that we see it online and, and in protests around America today, one of the places where we see that culture of conflict more than anywhere else is in our political realm, isn't it? We have built an expectation of anger and aggression towards people that disagree with us politically. Here's the thing. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what party you align yourself with. That does not matter at all. It is totally unimportant. 
But here's the thing. Whether you're a fan of Trump or Obama, Trump and Obama are both people that God looks at as people. And when you get online or you have your lunch with your buddies or your friends and you start being nasty about them or to them, you have gone into a piece of ungodliness. I don't care what your stance, I don't care how bad you think that person is. They are still a person created by God, a sinner in need of a Savior just like you and I. And so nastiness about a person is never okay for us as followers of Christ. So here's what I'm going to call you out on. If you ever see me being nasty about somebody, I want you to call me out on it. And I will commit here today that if I see you being nasty about someone, I will call you out on it. You can share political posts or your stance on this topic or this issue. That's great. Just don't be mean to people or about people. That's where we step over a really ungodly, unrighteous line. Be peaceful. We are called to be at peace. And slandering and talking bad about people is the opposite. It is opposed to peace. So, there are people that we need to see as people that God loves and pursues. Peace is a choice. It is something we do actively, not passively. And so, are you living in peace? Peace comes when we stop seeing people like those dogs or those dirty So reevaluate how you see people. And maybe for some of us in this room, maybe this afternoon, we need to go and start living out peace with the people we haven't before. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here and to hear your word on peace. And God, I pray that you would teach us what it means for us as an individual, for each and every one of us, teach us what it is to be a person of peace. How do we apply this, God, to our own personal situations? How do we live as people of peace today, online, in our relationships, at work, in our house? How do we live out peace? So God, we pray that you would help us to see people the way you see them and help us to be people of peace so that we can lead people to you, so that people will see the peace that we have and that we make, that fruit that wells up from within us, from your spirit, that they would see that and want what we have. So Lord, I thank you so much, and I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.